the Slaughter and May podcast. Welcome to the first instalment in the Slaughter and May podcast series discussing the outlook for data breach enforcement in 2021. I'm Johnny Cotton, a partner in the Disputes and Investigations Group here and co-head of our Global Investigations Group. I'm Richard Jeans, also a partner in our Disputes and Investigations Group, but with a particular focus on contentious data matters, including cyber or other data breaches and the regulatory enforcement and claims that so often follow. And I'm Rebecca Cousin, a partner in our corporate and commercial group and co-head of our data privacy practice and part of our cyber advisory team. So today uh, we're going to be focusing on the increased enforcement risks associated uh, with data breaches of all kinds, uh, data protection legislation, privacy legislation, including the developing area of follow-on civil litigation for damages. Rebecca and Richard, could you start by spending a minute setting the scene for us in terms of the, uh, the recent changes to the applicable regulatory regime? Of course. From a global perspective, a key change is the increase in jurisdictions that have comprehensive data privacy legislation, with many adopting the approaches taken in the EU's General Data Protection Regulation, the GDPR, and a significant number of those regimes have real teeth in terms of the sanctions that can be imposed. Turning a bit closer to home and the implications of Brexit, the EU GDPR was written into UK law with effect from the start of this year, effectively creating a UK GDPR, which is nearly identical in substance and form to the EU version that we are all used to. And that, of course, means that as well as the usual eye on the global risk, some businesses will become subject to both GDPRs because they'll have establishments in the EU and UK or because they're established in one and caught by the extraterritorial provisions of the other. So, for instance, a UK company that offers goods to consumers in France will be subject to both regimes. Additionally, the EU GDPR will continue to apply to personal data of non-UK persons that was processed during the Brexit transition period unless and until the EU concludes that the UK's regime provides an adequate level of protection. There is therefore a risk of being fined twice by the Information Commissioner's Office in the UK and the relevant EU Enforcement Authority for the same breach of the relevant data privacy rules. Okay, that's interesting, but I suppose it's no different from um, those dual risks that many businesses already face, where they can be fined or investigated at least for um, misconduct by both US or UK authorities or UK or EU authorities for the same conduct. So as with other regulatory issues, data privacy risks need to account for both the local regulatory concerns and the, and the relevant organisation's global footprint. Given that, can you just talk us through what you've learned from the past couple of years of GDPR enforcement and what impact that might have on the direction of travel for 2021 and beyond? Sure. The first thing one notices when looking at enforcement trends across the EU is a divergence in the number of fines, with regulators in Spain, Romania, Italy, Hungary and Germany topping the list. I saw a headline a few months back suggesting that companies in these countries were therefore less compliant. But that's, of course, a misinterpretation. It's just that the regulators in these countries have a strategy of taking formal enforcement action in more circumstances. Some other regulators carry out a significant number of investigations, but prefer not to always issue fines, while some regulators are genuinely less active. 
To illustrate the different approaches, we recently advised on the impact of a data incident that came to light in due diligence on a potential acquisition of a Swedish company. Now, if that incident had taken place in a different country, we would have expected an investigation and potentially enforcement action. However, the Swedish Data Protection Authority doesn't undertake many investigations and it closed the case without asking any questions at all. Interesting. Uh, But by comparison, two of the uh, ongoing ICO investigations on which we're engaged on at the moment have given rise to extensive questioning. And in one case, there were real tensions between what our clients are being asked to provide to the ICO and what they feel comfortable providing to M&A bidders or other key contractual counterparts. One point here, though, that has helped is the growing ability to anticipate the sort of questions the ICO may raise. And so we can therefore help clients prioritise their response to an incident or better, their pre-incident preparation. Yeah, that makes sense. There's also a real divergence in the level of fines between regulators. And you'll recall that the GDPR allows regulators to impose fines of up to the higher of 20 million euros or 4% of annual worldwide turnover. The highest fine is still France's fine of Google for 50 million euros for transparency failings and not having a legal processing ground. However, last October, there was another sizable fine, this time from the Hamburg Data Protection Authority, one of the German state regulators. This was a fine of 35 million euros of H&M Germany for the monitoring of hundreds of employees. And I think it's fair to say that the UK Data Protection Authority is also up there in terms of the quantum of its recent fines. British Airways were fined £20 million, Marriott International was fined £18.4 million, in both cases for security breaches involving third-party hacks rather than for the the actual activities they were taking as data controllers. However, what has been striking and well reported is that in both those cases, the final fines were significantly lower than the initial fines suggested by the ICO, in part as a result of the pandemic, where the ICO had initially issued an intention to find BA £183 million and Marriott £99 million. I think given all of this, looking ahead, one of the hardest things to predict is the likely level of fine for a particular breach, given the inconsistency between regulators to date. The enforcement decisions don't provide specific details and it's not always possible to work out what financial data has been used in terms of the percentage. But if you look at the larger fines, you can see the percentage of turnover is tiny. For BA, it's 0.15%, and for Google, an even smaller 0.13%, with the highest reported percentages actually having been 2% against a small Danish taxi firm. However, the Norwegian regulator has recently announced an intention to find Grindr a fine equating to 10% of its turnover in respect of data sharing with advertisers. Now, this is not a final decision, So it will be interesting to see whether the ultimate fine is reduced, just as Richard mentioned happened with BA and Marriott in the UK. So taking together, that makes it pretty tricky for organisations to know to know where to start. Um, In the UK, at least, the starting point in calculating the percentage fine is, is set out in a matrix reflecting, on the one hand, the seriousness of the breach and on the other, the degree of culpability of the relevant organisation. That's then adjusted to reflect any aggravating or mitigating factors for the particular incident or, or behaviour. This will then be compared with the company's financial means and the impact that fine might have on it, as well as reflecting from a sort of policy perspective how effective, proportionate and, and dissuasive the fine would be. Looking ahead, though, there is a growing debate in the UK as to whether this percentage of turnover 
is or should be the starting point for fines or should apply as a cap with the actual fine set by the facts of the particular incident. At the moment, the ICO seems set to go with the former, but I think this is very likely to be an area for further disputes, particularly where fines would have a disproportionate impact on a business or their operations, or indeed act as a deterrent for other businesses in the same sector. I think that's particularly going to be the case where you're in a low margin business or a low margin sector where the percentage of fine may wipe out your profit for, for many years, you know, or, or indeed just drive up costs. So you know, in an outsourcing business, would the data risk premium be passed on to customers? There's actually a similar debate in Germany as well, since the regulators there also have a fining model that has the business's revenue as its starting point. This appears to have led to higher fines being imposed, which in turn has led to more court challenges on the level of the fines, some of which have been successful. If the ICO's criteria does lead to higher fines, we can also expect there to be greater challenges to these in future. Fantastic. Thank you both. I mentioned at the beginning the, the risk of civil litigation follow-on claims. Um, could, could I ask you to conclude the session by, by briefly giving us your thoughts on those matters? Sure. I mean, look, you're absolutely right, because I think that, that, that there has certainly been a rise in civil litigation. And yeah, as with the increased regulatory fines, that absolutely is something that businesses take, take account of in their, in their risk profile. Um, I think there are three key three themes driving this increase in civil litigation. First is that there are clearer rights to bring civil claims under relevant data privacy rules. And coupled with that is an awareness of those rights. Um, and that, that, that applies particularly where there's an absence of enforcement action being brought by a data protection authority. I think in that regard, we can all remember those consent emails that came around when the GDPR was introduced, which is effectively one of the most you know, brilliant advertising campaigns for you must know your rights um, from a data privacy claims perspective. And just to add to that, we're definitely seeing an increasing number of claims being brought as collective actions where a whole class or group of affected individuals are part of the claim, so increasing the amount of overall damages that's being claimed. The ability to bring mass claims varies among the EU states, with most still only having opt-in claims where the group of claimants needs to be built up by the funders or claimant firms. But changes in both the Netherlands and UK mean that opt-out claims, where whole groups of claimants are automatically in, are increasingly available. And I think that leads neatly to the third key theme here in the rise in civil litigation, which is litigation funding. Whilst familiar in many jurisdictions, not least for the follow-on claims that we see for other regulatory enforcement actions, so antitrust cartel or similar, these are the organisations who will pay the cost of the litigation on the basis that they will then get a sizable proportion of the awarded damages, often 30% or more. Subject only to the increased risk for funders arising from a loser-pays cost-shifting rules, the increased quantum available in data-related claims, which is often established in one-off cases such as the UK phone hacking scandals or a particularly salacious celebrity gossip case, it means that there's a veritable wall of money out there waiting to fund data-related civil claims. Thank you, uh, Rebecca and Richard, for for the interesting discussion. Um, For those of you who are listening, if you have any questions or would think you'd benefit from further discussion, please do not hesitate to contact any of today's participants. And we hope to see you again for our next session in this series, where we'll be discussing 2021's outlook for corporate crime. For more information on this topic, or to hear our other podcasts, please visit www.slaughterandmay.com.
You can also subscribe to the Slaughter and May podcast on iTunes or Google Play.